Hey, Cornerstone, how we doing? Man, super glad you're here. All of you that are online, all of you at our Scottsdale campus. Uh, third week in a series, we're talking about running. And we've been studying the life of a guy who probably may be the world's most famous runner, a guy by the name of Jonah. Before we dive in, though, real quick, two things for us. So the building that we've been building together, and the reason I say that is because probably, what, a year or two years ago, we realized the bank couldn't quite figure out loaning us the money. And so we as a church just said, look, we're not going to let the bank stop what we believe God is asking us to do. And literally, this congregation raised cash and said, we're going to build a building for cash. And guys, I, I just think that building will be a testimony for years to come that Cornerstone is a people of God that just simply say, we're not going to let circumstances be the thing that keep us from doing what we believe God has called us to, and we'll just go forward anyways. And I, we believe we're gonna be able to move into that building the Sunday after Easter. Super exciting, totally cool. Uh, as we move into that building, uh, right now our adult ministries are exploding. Uh, more and more people than ever are joining in. They're finding good Bible study, they're finding rich community with one another. And so on Sunday mornings, every single hour, there'll be an adult small church uh, out in that building. And then all through the week, nearly every single night, there's gonna be student ministries or adult ministries or children's ministries filling up that building. It literally is gonna get used nonstop. So thank you again for just being the type of people who would say, we're gonna get it done. Second thing this morning is this. Normally, uh, when we uh, get done with our service, about the time that I pray, hundreds of us jump to our seat, out of our seats and run toward the door because we want to beat the rest of us to lunch. Uh, totally understand that value. I totally get it. Uh, I might be one of those if I didn't have to preach next hour. But uh, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you today to stay. We've got something really, really cool happening at the end of the service and I'm telling you that it'll be worth that incredible sacrifice of staying a little longer uh, today. So if you would do that, that would be uh, really, really cool. All right, so third week in the series in the life of a guy by the name of Jonah who knows how to run. This is a big deal to you and me because deep within every one of our hearts is a little bit of a runner. And so we're watching what Jonah encountered in his life and hopefully learning lessons so that we don't have to encounter any of that in our own lives. Uh, for those that are, haven't been here for the rest of the series, let me catch you up real quickly. So Jonah's a guy who is a God follower. Uh, he's not some way out of church, hate God guy. He's actually in ministry. And one day God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to go over to the city of Nineveh and I want you to tell them about me. Jonah hates the idea. See, the deal is Jonah's got a history with the Ninevites and they've been hard on his family, they've been hard on his friends, they've been hard on his country and he just goes, no. If there was ever a group of people that I don't care whether they make it to heaven or not, it's them and I don't wanna go preach to them. In Jonah's mind, what has just happened is that God has just crossed a line. God has asked him something that Jonah said, you know, I'll follow you just don't ever ask me for what's on the other side of that line. For Jonah, it was Nineveh. 
For you and I, maybe it's our dating life or, or maybe it's our finances or, or maybe it's our anxiety. We just said, God, look here, I'll, I'll be a follower of you. Just don't you dare. Try to have a conversation about what's on the other side of the Because here's my answer. I can tell you right now, it's no, no. And in that moment, Jonah says, okay, God didn't like that and I'm taking off. And he literally begins to run from God. He runs in the physically opposite direction of the city of Nineveh. Uh, he heads toward the Mediterranean Sea. He jumps on a boat. He's sailing across. And as he's on that boat, God sends a storm. The sailors on the boat are absolutely terrified. They've never seen a storm like this before. They throw dice. They cast lots to find out who caused the storm. Who's the one that God's trying to get their attention? And the dice fall on Jonah. And so they say to Jonah, what have you done? And why, why would God be frustrated or upset with you? And Jonah says, well, I'm running from God. And so they say, well, Jonah, what, what should we do with you? And Jonah says, just throw me in the ocean. Just throw me overboard. And, and we were stunned last week by the idea that Jonah is so set that this is no. He says, I would rather die than allow that to be a yes in my life. So he says, just throw me overboard. And he throw him overboard, immediately uh, the Mediterranean Sea becomes still as glass. Jonah thinks he's okay for all of about three seconds. And then scripture says, and God prepared a fish. Now we said to you last week, and we got Jonah into the fish last week, we said, look, well, here's the deal. You don't wanna be in the fish. Uh, it's bad enough being in the storm. It's bad enough having the lots cast and your sin being exposed for everybody else to see. But let me just tell you what you don't want. You don't want to be in the fish. And I know some of us are going, well, how is the fish different than the storm? You can still run when you're in a storm. So when you're in a storm, you can keep booking. You can keep running away from all it is that God wants you to do. But guess what you can't do inside a fish? You ain't running. You're stuck. And here's what you and I need to understand is that if you and I become determined enough, if you and I become honry enough, if you and I are willing to wrestle with God long enough and say, no, you'll never have my dating life. Uh, you'll, you'll never have my fear, and whatever that is, that at some point God will send a storm. God will do whatever he can to get you. But eventually God will say, hey, we're just gonna stop this running thing. And God will prepare a fish for you, for me. And, and here's the thing you need to know. It's probably not a literal fish. I know some of you were getting ready to leave here and go, it's Arizona. It's probably not a literal fish, but it'll be a fish because a fish is simply this. A fish is that place where running becomes impossible. And now you have to have a conversation with God. See, if, if you're a teenage couple, that fish may be when the pregnancy test comes back. It may be the moment when you're stuck in the back of a police car. It may be a moment when the repossession notice comes in the mail. It may be when your spouse finds out what you've been doing but it'll be a moment when running won't be able to happen anymore. And God will say to you and me, 
We're done with that. Can we talk? So here we go, because Jonah actually describes to you and me what it was like to be inside the fish. And you and I get to peek into that moment uh, in his life. So grab your Bibles, go with me to the book of Jonah. If you're unfamiliar uh, and you have a paper Bible, you can open it up right in the middle. You start going to the right. Uh, you'll, you'll get to the books of Ezekiel and Daniel, start slowing down. That's the last big books. Everything further on is tiny, tiny, tiny. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. And you'll be there. All right, here we go. Jonah, uh, chapter two, life inside the fish. Here we go. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God and he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to me. Now you get the moment, Jonah fights God until he gets to the moment that he says, I am standing at the realm, I'm standing at death's door. I mean, that's, that's the next thing that's gonna happen in my life. And it's only then that he finally calls out to the Lord. But here's the remarkable thing. He says, when I called out to the Lord, he answered me. I'm just gonna tell you this. Uh, Jonah is super lucky that I'm not God. Because I'm just telling you, after all the grief that Jonah has put God through, all the running, all the struggling, all the wrestling, if Jonah had called out to me from the fish, he would have gotten a recording. It would have said something like this, I'm sorry, I can't take your call right now. I'm on vacation. I happen to be fishing in the Mediterranean. I'll call you when I get back. And instead, because you and I serve a God who is generous in his mercy, the very moment in which God, Jonah calls, God answers, because you get that God was waiting for the call. It's like a parent who's sitting next to their phone waiting for their son or their daughter to call. And Jonah says, when I called to the Lord, he answered me. Here's why this is a big deal. Because there are some of us in this room, and, and you would say today, Lynn, man, my life is so dark. I mean, the stuff that I've done, I'm pretty sure if I tried to call God, he'd hang up on me. I, I, I don't think he'd take that call. And here's what you need to hear. Our God is generous in mercy. And if you would call, he would answer. No, no matter how dark your life has been, no, no matter how hard your heart has become, no matter what you did last night, if you would call, he would answer. And that's remarkable. Verse number three. But Jonah, what, what, verse three, um, you hurled me into the depths and into the very heart of the sea and the current swirled around me and all the waters and the breakers swept over me. Now, here's what's interesting when Jonah says that. The sailors are the ones that hurl Jonah into the sea. So why is Jonah in this moment saying, hey, God, you threw me into the sea? Because in the quietness of the fish, in the inability to run and 
Jonah's starting to figure some stuff out. And here's what Jonah has figured out. Hey, that storm, that storm that came, that, that wasn't happenstance. That, that wasn't just a shift in barometric pressure. God, you were behind the storm. You sent the storm. When I was cast over by the sailors, that, that really wasn't the sailor. That was you, God, putting me where you needed me to be. And this fish that I'm in right now, you're behind the fish. You have been doing anything you had to do. You've been doing everything you could do to get my attention. And I've been running. Let me ask you a question. Why is God so determined to get Jonah's attention? Why not just go, hey, Jonah, sorry about that. You take off. I'll find another prophet. I'll find somebody else to go to Nineveh. You'll miss out on the blessing, but hey. Why is God so determined to steer Jonah back to where he needs to be to, in essence, think about it, control Jonah's life? And maybe a better question is, why is God so determined to control your life and my life? Why doesn't he just politely leave us alone? Let me go do my thing, and then when I get to heaven, we can have a conversation about how bad I messed it up. But leave. why is God so determined to chase after us, to intrude into our life, to bring storms, to get our, what's God's deal? Maybe this helps. So when I'm a kid, my dad builds this huge sandbox in our backyard. And one of my favorite things to do is I would go out to the sandbox, I'd get at one end, and I would dig a hole in the sand. And then I would go to the opposite end of the sandbox and I'd dig another hole in the sand. I would take a garden hose and lay it in the first hole and as it filled up, I would draw a straight line from the first hole to the second hole. You know what's interesting? The water never went down my straight line because sand is all undulating and different levels. And so it followed my little trough for just a few moments and then all of a sudden it would just, it'd head in a completely wrong direction. And then I would go over and meet the water where it was and I would draw a line back trying to get it to where it needed to go. And it would follow that path for a little while and then all of a sudden it'd go somewhere else and I'd take my stick and I'd draw another line to get it back. And of course, it would head the wrong way, and then I'd take the stick and get there. You want to know what? Five-year-old me always won that game. Every time. You realize in life, you and I are playing the sandbox game with God. That, that God starts at wherever it is that you and I come to faith and come to know him, and he says... I'm glad you're here because I have plans for you. Before you were ever born, I knew you'd come to faith and I've already got this unbelievable, incredible life for you right here. And I'm gonna do whatever I can to let you get to this amazing life, this amazing marriage, this amazing kids, this, this amazing, fulfilling way of interacting in a relationship. I'm gonna get you there. But what do we do? We start heading off our own way because we're full of undulations and unwillingness. And so God sends a storm 
gets us back closer to course. And then, of course, we get off course and we start heading out and God meets us there and he casts the dots, the, the dice, and we get thrown overboard. And, and then because we're ornery and stubborn and, and we get off course, and God brings us back. Not because his heart's desire is to control us. Because his heart's desire is for you and I to discover what it's like to be like Jesus Christ. To discover the plan and the purpose and the amazing, absolutely fulfilling life that he created every one of us to be. And he loves you and me too much for you and I to get over here and live a life of less a marriage of less and a relationship of less and a, a life that's built on things that don't matter and are filled with regret. See, this isn't God trying to control us. This is God trying to bless us. It's why he won't let Jonah go. It's why he'll never let you and me go. He'll play sandbox with us all our lives. Matter of fact, there's this amazing passage in scripture. It's in Philippians. If you want to, you can go there with me. It's Philippians chapter one. It's gonna be almost to the back of your Bible. Philippians chapter one, verse six. Here's what it says. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. You get what it's saying? Until you and I get to that amazing life that God has, God will work in our life, work in our life, work in our life, work. He'll do whatever he has to do to pull the stick. And you and I are either gonna die or Jesus is gonna come back, but he's not gonna stop playing sandbox with you and me. Why? Because not only is God full of mercy, he's also thorough in his discipline. Which means if what it, if what it takes for you and I to get back on course is a storm or a fish or a spanking, he'll do it. He'll do whatever it takes to get us to the life that will bless us. God is generous in his mercy. He is thorough in his discipline because he loves us too much to let us live a life of less. Back to the passage, verse four. And see if you don't hear despair in the heart of Jonah. <laughs> See, God's gotten Jonah right where he needs to be, and now Jonah goes, I'm, I'm pretty much trapped. Verse four, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threaten me. The deep surrounds me. Seaweed and anything else that happened to be in that fish are wrapped around my head, to the roots of the mountains, I sank down the earth beneath 
barred me in forever. Anybody remember how long Jonah's inside the whale? Three days and three nights. Anybody want to guess if you're inside of a fish, seaweed wrapped around your head, smelling fish sticks all day long, how long three days and three nights feels like? And I'm not exactly sure, but here's what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. It feels too long. It feels too harsh. You can just imagine Jonah's heart when he said, God, wait, 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 I know, I know I was, but this just feels bigger than what I did and it feels longer than what I did. I don't understand. And here's what you need to know. That anytime you and I force God's hand into discipline, that discipline always will feel harder than what we thought was fair. Because, you ready for this? Because when you discipline, you have to make sure that the pain of discipline exceeds whatever satisfaction that I was getting from disobeying. Let me say that again. You have to make sure that the pain of disobeying exceeds the pleasure of disobeying. It's the very heart of discipline. All right, all right maybe, maybe this helps. So right now, our adopted daughter from Kenya has been staying with us and our adopted granddaughter, uh, Elisa, is, is with her in, in our house. And Elisa's about three and a half years old and she has just discovered drawing. So Lisa and I come home one day and sure enough, she, Elisa has found one of my permanent markers and has drawn all over our granite countertops. My Lisa takes little Elisa and gives her a timeout and explains to little Elisa, look, you only draw on paper. You don't draw anything else, you only draw on paper. We come home a couple days later. Little Elisa has found a pen and she has now scribbled all over our leather couch. My wife, Lisa, takes little Elisa over to time out and explains to her again, we only draw on paper. We don't draw on anything else. Apparently, the joy of drawing was exceeding the pain of timeout. <laughs> because a couple days later, we came home. My mom's room, because my mom lives with us most of the year, uh, my mom's room, Lily Lisa has now found another marker, has gone over to my mother's favorite chair and drawn all over the chair. Can I just say to you, Lisa decided to make sure that the pain of disobeying was greater than the joy of disobeying. Little Lisa isn't coloring anymore. And guys, this is exactly what, when you push God that far, you understand, right? If you say, God, look, the only way you're gonna get my attention is by spanking me. It'll be bigger than, it'll be longer than you think is fair because the pain of disobeying has to exceed the joy of disobeying. That's why you don't push God that far. Back to the passage. Verse six, to the roots of the mountain, I sank down in the earth, barred me, uh, forever, but you, Lord, my God, brought me up from the pit. 
When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose up to you in the holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Think about that a second. This is an incredibly interesting phrase for Jonah to be saying because in the entire story, there are no idols. So why would Jonah pick this moment to say, those who cling to idols turn away from the love of God for them? Because here's what he's figured out inside the belly of the fish. Anything I love more than God is an idol. And so I have been worshiping something false. Because true worship is when I put God in his right place. True worship is when I say, God, you're number one. And everything else in my life comes beneath you. That's worship. But when you and I put a line and we say, God, you can't have that. You realize what we just said in that moment. That thing in my control, that is more important to me than anything you want to do with me. Therefore, that is my God. That is the thing that I worship God more than you because I won't allow you to touch that. So it's my pride, it's my greed, it's that habit I'm gonna have in my life, and God, you get to play second fiddle because I'll always love that more than you. It is my idol. And what does Jonah say? Those who cling to worthless idols turn their backs on the love of God because they love the idol more than they love God. Which brings you and me to the moment to say, what have you been worshiping? Is it that boyfriend? You just said, God, no, I know, I know, I know. I know I shouldn't be dating him, but I'm gonna do it anyways. Then that's your idol. Is it getting bigger houses and bigger boats and bigger cars? And Then that's your idol. Because if you're saying to God, look, you, th that's my thing and you can't touch it because the truth is I love it more than I love. Hey God, that's my anxiety and my anxiousness and here's the deal. Even though I live a life full of fear, I fear more letting you have it. Therefore, I'm gonna live with my God of fear. Anything that you cling to above God, any area of your life, you, you, the answer is no, is your idol. Here's what you need to know about your idol. Whenever you get what your idol promised, so in other words, you get all the fame or you get all the popularity or you've got, you've got money coming out of your ears or whenever you get what you hoped that idol would give, and here's what you just need to know. Very often you get it. You get success. You get the boyfriend to marry you. When you get it, it won't be enough. I can't tell you how many times I've had the opportunity to talk to people who are unbelievably gifted in sports and they're playing professionally or people that have been in Hollywood and, and had all sorts of success or businessmen who have gotten to the top of the corporate ladder and I've, and I've asked them and said, hey, wait a minute. How come a person like you who's had all that success, all that fame, all those, that accomplishment, how come someone like you wants Jesus in their life? 
And every single one of them says to me, because when you get what you were chasing, you're still gonna want Jesus because it's not enough. Three people liked that, the rest of the golf class. Went, ah, I'm not sure what I think about that one. I'll give you one more to think about. When God puts you in the fish, when God closes your life into that moment when running is impossible, when, when you're where Jonah is and I saw death coming, you won't pray to your idol. You won't pray to that big old boat. You won't pray to Facebook. You'll turn to God because he's the only one that answers prayer. He's the only one that brings rescue from the fish. Back to verse nine. Watch what Jonah does next. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you, God, what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. You get what he just said? He said, okay, 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 okay. My no, I'll make it yes. I, I, I'm gonna repent to this moment. And, and you realize that's exactly what every one of us needs to do. We, we just need to say, look, God, I've been fighting you over this. I've been arguing with you about my boyfriend. I've, I've been telling you, you can't have my finances. And here's the thing. I'm deciding today my no it's gonna be yes. It's changing my mind. It's changing my answer. I'm repenting of loving something more than I love God. And watch what happens next. This verse is a verse that every junior high boy is gonna love. It's gonna be their favorite verse in the Bible. Here's what it says. Verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish to vomit Jonah. Did you see it? Every junior high boy is underlining that right now. That's so cool. Didn't know the Bible was, had vomit in it. And the Lord commanded the fish to vomit Jonah onto dry ground. Guys, don't miss this moment. Jonah repents, the fish vomits. You didn't get it yet. Okay. Jonah repents, the fish vomits. Immediately. The moment he says, my no is gonna be a yes, God says, okay, that's all I needed to hear. I just needed to hear that no was yes, and instantly he's out of the fish. How cool is that? Because some of us in this room right now, man, you're under all sorts of pressure from God right now, and you realize if you would just simply say, hey, God, I'm done arguing, my no is yes, that God could release you from the storm from the fish. What's your no? What's your no? What's the, what's the thing you've said, hey God, I'll follow you and I'm gonna do my life and no. Because you realize, right? You realize you just started playing sandbox with God. That, that he's gonna do whatever he has to do to change that answer, to get you to the amazing, unbelievable, incredible life that he had planned for you. He loves you too much to let you live a life of less 
So what's the no? How tall is that boyfriend? How many likes does it take on Facebook for you to feel better about yourself? How big does the house have to be till you're satisfied? And what if, what if you changed no into yesterday? It's exactly what God's waiting for. It would change your life. Here's what I want us to do. I'd like to have everybody's head bowed and no one looking around. And here's, here's the question I wanna ask. What's God been wrestling with you about? What, what's the thing you've held at arm's length from him and said, God, I'm just not prepared for that to ever be surrendered or for that part of my life to ever belong to you. What's your no? And my guess is that as we've had this conversation over the last few weeks, you and God have been having a conversation and he's been saying, that's, that's next. That, that's the thing I need to have become a yes in your life. So here's what I wanna ask, everybody's heads bowed, or eyes are closed, it's just you and me in a conversation. If over the course of the last few weeks as we've talked about Jonah, and God's been talking to you, and you've had to wrestle with a no, that you know needs to be yes. With no one looking around, would you just raise your hand and say, God, God and I have been talking, and I know I gotta change my answer, I know I do. Look at it all over this room, who else? Who else says, I know I have a no that needs to be a yes. I know I gotta get this done. Who else? Okay, let me pray for you. Dear Assembly Father, I pray for every hand that just got lifted. God, let this be more than just a moment of crying, uncle. Let this be a moment of true, legitimate surrender. A moment of saying, hey, this is, this is the part of my life that I've told God he had to stay out of. He had no business talking to me about it. It was gonna be mine to the grave. And today I'm repenting, I'm changing my mind, I'm changing my answer. My no is gonna be yes. God, may that just be so true and so real and so powerful in their lives that their lives would never be the same because they surrendered. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so remember we said there was something at the end. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I think it would be totally, totally cool if we went and just memorialized the last no that we had. So I know there's some of us that say, Lynn, I had this conversation a while ago, maybe six months ago, whenever it was, but I changed a no into a yes. And so it was already done. But how cool if you and I just memorialized that and said, hey, here was my no. I made it a yes. And so outside, uh, there is a uh, huge uh, kind of scrim thing. And we're gonna invite every one of us to go out there and just in pretty big letters, just write, hey, it was pride. That was my no, or you know, it was money, or it was a relationship. And I just want you to know that was the no, that the last no, that I made a yes in my life. Just to say to God, there, it, it's still true. The answer is still yes. That's the last thing I surrendered. So if you're online, uh, you're not gonna be able to go to the scrim, but if you're online, 
we're going to ask you just to go into the chat room and just put in there in a couple words, hey, I, I gave up uh, being in control of my life. And I said yes to God. So here's what we're going to do. We're all going to get up right now. We're going to head out onto the patio and we're all going to write down our last no. So there you go.